Welcome to the Pooch Parenting Podcast, a podcast for parents with dogs. I'm Michelle Stern, a certified professional dog trainer, mom, and former teacher. Living with kids and dogs at the same time can feel like a circus. I know because I lived it too. Join us as we interview a variety of experts and parents to discuss topics that will make parenting with dogs easier, safer, and less chaotic. Also, you can love living with your dog again. I'll always keep it real, which might even mean that you hear the messiness of life in the background on occasion, but at least you know you're not alone. If your dog has ever shown any discomfort as you approach them with a prized possession, or maybe they growled when you approached the couch where they were sleeping, this episode is for you. I talk with my friend Eileen Koval about resource guarding in dogs, and we talk about some common scenarios that happen in families with children. Today's episode is brought to you by the Pooch Parenting Society, ongoing support for families with dogs. Hi, I'm so happy, Eileen, that you are here to talk with us today on the Pooch Parenting Podcast. Uh, Great. Yeah, I'm so happy to be here too. Thank you for inviting me. So Eileen is somebody that I have known on social media for a while. We have um, a good friend in common, Mary, who I also interviewed for the podcast about clicker training basics. And Eileen and I both also spoke recently at a summit on naughty dogs. So that was also really fun. But I invited Eileen here today to talk to us about resource guarding. And she understands what it can be like to help a family whose dog is maybe being a little bit overprotective over certain items like food or toys or places in the house. And so we're going to talk a little bit about how to prevent resource guarding if you have a new dog or a puppy, and then a little bit about what to do if you do notice some red flags. But I would like you to introduce yourself before we dive in. Oh, sure. Uh, Great. Yeah, my name is Eileen Koval, and I do behavior consulting and training for dogs in the Las Vegas area. I work with a lot of families with kids um, or those who are expecting kids, and I'm really happy to be here today. Well, I'm so happy you're here. And at the end, if I don't remember, I want to just say it here because you have also another unique specialty that I love so much, which is that you do some rattlesnake aversion therapy um, training using positive reinforcement. Um, which I love. And so I just want to say this in case I forget later that you are the absolute go-to person for this if people need help. So I love sending people to you for that because it's a very niche thing that most people don't. Oh yeah, we got into that just because of the necessities living in the Las Vegas area. So yeah, it's a lot of fun um, because it's, uh, you know, teaching based off scent. So if you um, ever have that need, it doesn't have to be a rattlesnake, any type of um, venomous snake, uh, we can uh, train against that. That's fantastic. That's really great. All right. So I'm going to give you a little scenario and then I would love to see what kind of advice you would have for family. So let's say we've got a family. They have a two-year-old child and they are adding a puppy to their family. And so having a two-year-old is obviously challenging because they're all over the place and a little bit unpredictable. And they want to set up the relationship between the whole family and this puppy to be a positive, healthy relationship. And they've heard in the past that some dogs can growl or get persnickety when you get too close to their food bowl. So let's start with this family. How would you recommend that they approach their new puppy and helping them feel safe? 
I think a lot of it's about boundaries. Um, this puppy needs to feel safe that it has um, the ability to eat in peace. It has the ability to, um, you know, rest in peace, like basically time away from the child. Um, what I would do is, you know, set up baby gates and set up a bed in a location as well as an eating area that's away from the child and bring the puppy and the child together during times where there's heavy supervision and maybe the child is a bit calmer. Because um, for some dogs, like it can be a little bit alarming having a child just run over and, you know, grab them. And um, it, it can be difficult, especially with toddlers, because you tell them to do something and they might do at that moment. They may not. They may not listen to you. And they definitely don't remember it 30 seconds later. So it, there has to be a lot of supervision involved so that, um, you know, the child is um, able to, you know, uh, respect the puppy's needs because they don't know. And, you know, the puppy may get uncomfortable and may growl or may show some avoidance of the child. And kids definitely don't um, perceive what's going on as what it is. They think, you know, it's play. They don't understand that this puppy's actually trying to get away. So um, there need to be a lot of boundaries there in place. And baby gates are great for that. Um, the, the dog should always have the ability to, to get away from the kid if they need to. Okay, that's really great. It did just occur to me that we should probably describe what resource guarding even is um, and, and some of the signs to notice that a dog may have it. So let's backtrack a little bit. Um, and can you describe some of that for us in case people are wondering what we're even talking about? Yeah, resource guarding is actually incredibly broad. It goes by a lot of different names, such as possession aggression, um, food aggression, owner um, uh, owner guarding. Like, there's so many different names for it. It can also be territorial aggression. Um, it, it's guarding um, or you're controlling access to a resource. Um, so that could be somebody coming near a location, such as a bed, somebody coming near and approaching a dog, or just in the vicinity while they're chewing on something. Um, uh, it can also be, you know, where it doesn't even look like aggression, where, you know, a child, for example, could have um, in their hand a dog's toy or a dog's um, chew, and the dog comes over and acts like they're playful and runs away. Well, once the kid goes and chases after him, the dog goes over and takes that toy or takes that chew. That is controlling access to the resource. It's not aggression um, per se, like it's, you know, looks more playful and amicable, but we definitely see this and people don't often realize what's going on. They think, oh, they're being so nice. They're, they're playing together and it's really not. So it's something to watch for. That's really interesting. I know that when I worked at the animal shelter, one of the uh, pieces of the behavior assessment we often did when we were assessing a dog to go up for adoption so we could write up a profile um, had to do with looking at the dog's body language while it was eating. And there were parts of that test that I didn't love because I just felt like it was really badgering the dog. But I think they wanted to see how the dog would behave in a worst case scenario, which yeah. I can understand. But you know, in a shelter, you're going to maybe get a different response than you would get in a home. But I did notice that one sign that was unusual that a lot of people aren't familiar with is sometimes the dog would just eat its food faster when oh, you yeah. got near. So can you talk a little bit about that one? Oh, yeah. Like, um, yeah. One thing is like um, rapid ingestion, and it can be with the food bowl, or it could even be something like a sock. <laughs> you know, if um, you know, there's a kid hanging out around the dog's food bowl, or lots of kids running around and playing while the dog is eating, they may feel a little uncomfortable 
um, like as if they're going to get run into or somebody's going to take their food, so they might eat more quickly. Um, so that can be a sign that they're it's actually guarding behavior. They're trying to you know uh, eat it up so that nobody else can take it or come near it. Sometimes you'll see too where if um, a dog takes something they're not supposed to have and you go and approach them, they'll just go and swallow it. So. <laughs> Yeah, people talk about this with children's toys that the dog's taken or even a sock or something else like that. And they go over to take it back and the dog goes and swallows it real quick. And that's a form of guarding as well. But it's not aggression, but it's still controlling access to that resource. And that's really what resource guarding is. And so dangerous too, because then you end up with potential blockages and emergency veterinary visits and things like that, I would assume. Absolutely. Like, I don't know how many times I've heard about some of these dogs being opened up and it's so sad, um, but yeah. people don't realize that their dog was actually being, um, you know, possessive or guarding. They're just like, oh, my dog just, you know, eats things fast or he just swallows things. And we have to look a little bit behind the behavior. Like, why is the dog doing this? So it sounds to me like a lot of this has to do with a lack of trust that the dog is feeling that you're going to take all the things I care about. And so I need to keep them away from you. But sometimes that's going to be dangerous. I mean, I know that with my clients who have children, that could be, you know, obviously we don't want them eating a Lego house or we don't, you know, they're sharp things. I'm imagining all, all the internal damage that certain things could do. Sometimes there's a toxic situation, obviously certain markers or paints or any number of things would be dangerous for the dog. So what kind of a plan could a parent have to help the dog feel safe? Like, okay, maybe I have to get this one thing from you because it's actually a dangerous situation, but how do I build trust and make deposits into that trust account so that the dog maybe willingly gives something up as opposed to gobbling it down? Yeah, I'm big into training dogs to um, readily give up things, you know, when you ask for them because they see value in doing so and making a game about it so um, that they don't feel like giving something up. It's the end of the world. It's something that they're doing willingly because they know that they're going to get good things again. It's not um, where they're never going to have access to this resource again. Because sometimes I see um, people corner a dog to get something from them. The dog's going through all these steps where they're showing avoidance, the person's still reaching towards their mouth. Next thing you know, the dog's escalated and they're growling. The person still keeps trying to take something from their mouth. And then there's a bite. And that happens easily with kids because kids don't read all these different signs that the dog is offering to let them know, hey, like, I'm not comfortable about this. I'm afraid I may, I may not get access to this toy again. And so what I would do is I start with um, low value items, like something the dog doesn't really care as much about, like a toy they're not crazy about. And, you know, teaching them to drop it in exchange for like high value rewards. And then we slowly work towards you know higher value items and novel items um, that they don't normally get access to and have them drop those. And the thing is, once they drop it and I give them the reward, I give them that item right back again and we keep on playing the game where they drop it, I give them a treat, you know, they drop it again, give them a treat, and I create a routine about it. Because um, there's a lot of comfort in routines in our lives and it's the same with dogs and it can seem unpredictable sometimes with kids because kids are just like a mile a minute and you know things change so rapidly and it I think about my life like I don't have kids and my husband and I you can hear a pin drop in our house and it, 
everything is so predictable and it's so quiet and our dogs are spoiled in that way. They don't get to enjoy, you know, the friendship that other dogs get with these kids, but also the dogs who live with kids have a little bit more unpredictability. Mm -hmm. um, things change from one minute to the next. So having stable routines in the dog's life and also teaching them ways that they can ask for things that they want so that they can communicate clearly um, is really big with that, um, you know, can really go a long way with helping reduce anxiety. I really like that you mentioned that you need to build up because I think that it's easy to make the false assumption that, well, I traded him for a cookie that one time and therefore he should trust that I'm not always going to take things. Cause I do know like in defense of people who are type a, cause I'm partially type a myself where I like to control things as well that I can totally see a parent's desire to try to control what the dog is doing because nothing else in their life is is under control. And so if let's say the puppy, like I'm thinking about my mom right now, she's not gonna listen to this so I can say this. My mom doesn't like dirt in the house. She likes everything just so. So for her, if the dog picked up a leaf or a mud clump or something else and then wanted to come into the house, my mom would freak out about that and would constantly be trying to take things away from her dog. And I would imagine that if you are constantly trying to take things away from the dog, that you can cause more avoidance behavior because you're always taking stuff, right? Is that, am I on the right track there? Do you think? Right on the money. Um, okay. Yeah, the more that you're taking things from them teaches them that, well, maybe I need to guard things if I want to keep them because um, you're taking away any autonomy, any choice, and you're showing them like, hey, I like I have learned that when things are taken from me, I don't get them back. So, you know, maybe they need to, you know, have a better offense about that. So, and, and most of the time dogs don't go straight to biting. Usually they show other behaviors, but we ignore them because guess what? Aggression definitely gets our attention. You know, when a dog is doing that little running around thing, you know, getting the kid to chase him and then they take the toy, nobody notices that. And, you know, when a dog's giving you a hard stare or a little bit of side eye, like whale eye, people don't always notice that. But when a dog growls, oh my gosh, like the world just falls out from under them and they're like, oh my gosh, this dog growled at my kid. But a lot of times there are signs before that. And so um, we need to do a little bit of work to prepare the dog for these different situations. I think a little mindset shift is important at times, right? And I know that you have seen this. So I get called by people who are in a panic because their dog growled at the child and they know that's scary and they know that it's the step before the bite. They know that. But what they say is, I need it to stop. I need my dog to stop growling at my child. And mm -hmm. I think that we need, you know, all of us as dog professionals need to try to educate people that there's a reason for the growling mm -hmm. and that if we want the growling to stop, we need to prevent the dog from feeling that it needs to escalate to a growl in the first place, right? So like what you talked about at the very beginning about how sometimes if you used a baby gate, when you have a two-year-old and a puppy, that we could build some trust because mm -hmm. we're preventing the toddler from ever pushing that puppy to the point where it needs to growl to protect itself. 
Yeah, um, it's not the growl that's bad. People freak out sometimes because it is alarming and they try to punish the growl and tell the dog no or you're in a timeout, but it doesn't address why the dog is growling and the anxiety behind it. I really mm -hmm. think it's so important looking for signs of anxiety in your dog because anxiety that, that can lead to aggression, you know, that leads to resource guarding. If there's fear, we need to address that. And um, yeah, it's a, it, it can just be a scary thing, you know, for a dog who feels like not totally grounded in the home, there's not trust there. Uh, so always look at why the dog's growling and that way we'll prevent it. Cause you can, you know, tell your dog no, but what you may end up getting is a dog who skips that growl and goes straight to a bite. I've seen yeah. that, like, I can't even count how many times. And right. that's when the dog is truly scary because you don't know it's coming. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think that that's really important. I, body language is such an important piece for families because you can avoid so many dangerous situations if you can read how your dog is feeling. And so in my membership, for example, we spend a lot of time talking about dog body language so that we could, you know, even just help parents feel more confident because they can read their dog. Because that does, it's a game changer. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, knowing that two-way communication, because I feel like dogs read us so well, but it does not really go the other way. There's a lot of misconceptions about what different dog body language means, um, you know, that I grew up hearing and then becoming a professional, I'm like, that wasn't correct at all. <laughs> you know, so really getting a good education on what dogs are trying to tell us goes a long way. Right. Okay, how about another scenario? You ready for another one? Sure. Okay. So this time um, I want to talk about a couple who is expecting a baby. Um, they are, uh, one of the partners is six months pregnant. So her shape has changed. She looks different. She has a lot of pheromones and the dog is reluctant to allow her partner to come in for hugs and kisses. Okay. And so I just want to say one thing before I let you dive into this. A lot of people think this is really sweet. They think the dog is protecting them and that the dog is taking care of them because they're pregnant and, you know, keeping them safe. Um, but that's not my interpretation of it. I would love to hear your interpretation of it. Um, should you be flattered that this is the case? And um, what should we do about it? Because obviously, as soon as a baby's born, they're going to be people around in the house. We need to make sure that the dog allows either the mother or the baby to be cared for. Yeah, that kind of situation is alarming to me. Um, I do see it from time to time. And a lot of times people are seeking help because there's been a bite. Um, before the bite, it seemed like, well, this was sweet. You know, he really cares about me. He's concerned. But what I look at is a dog who um, maybe doesn't feel completely grounded. And sometimes there's, it's a dog that was bred to perform these sorts of behaviors. But a dog who, um, you know, he's finding purpose now, you know, in guarding his owner, um, you know, like a, the German Shepherd or Rottweiler or some of these other guarding type breeds or a mix of some of these guarding breeds. Um, so sometimes there's a little bit of genetics in it. Uh, other times it's a dog who notices these changes and the owner smells different, they're concerned. 
Um, and so the dog is not sure about their world now because something's changing with their owner. And so they're starting to guard them. Um, to me, um, any type of guarding like that needs to be addressed. Um, this guarding sometimes comes about because there's a new stressor that's introduced um, into the dog's life. In this case, it's the changes that the, the um, owner is going through and the changes in these pheromones, changes in her body, like she smells different, she looks different. Um, that is stress. And so that needs to be addressed properly with the dog because otherwise it can get out of hand if they feel unstable and it can lead to a bite. So it is alarming to me the moment you start to notice any body blocking, which is sometimes how it starts. Like um, the husband might come in to kiss the wife and the dog tries to body block or tries to jump in between them to break them up. And mm -hmm. that's like a, you know, alarm bells going off to me. Mm -hmm. I had um, a client who was in that situation and it was even harder for them because they were newlyweds. <laughs> so they were, they were in that in that phase, literally the honeymoon phase, which I am way out of at this stage in my marriage after 20 some odd years of being married. Um, but they were definitely in that phase and their dog was certainly not uh, very helpful in that part of their relationship. And the husband was becoming very resentful of the dog because the dog was getting in the way of his affections, but also because it made him, I mean, he was becoming resentful. He was also becoming afraid because this dog was a gigantic, um, gigantic dog. It was like 90 pounds. And, um, and he was uncomfortable because he felt like he might not be safe. And so yeah. um, we had to start doing some work where the dog was tethered um, so that the dog couldn't actually make contact with him. And then they did some, what we call counter conditioning, which means that he would take one or two steps towards his wife, she would toss treats to the dog, he would back away. He would take one or two steps towards the wife, she would toss treats to the dog and he would back away, right? Like just trying to make even his existence in the world a more comfortable thing for the dog. At, and just like you said, with the other kind of training that in phases that we have to start really slow, he couldn't just go in for a big smooch and hope the dog wasn't going to lose his mind, right? It took, yeah. it takes time. Like how long, I, you can't really predict. It's not fair of me to ask you, but can you give like a ballpark? Cause I don't, I just want people to, I want people to have some sort of fair expectation. Can you give me like a window? Like, is this a month's long process, a year's long process, a day's long process? What do you think? A lot of times it's more like months. It kind of depends mm -hmm. because a dog who's bred to perform those behaviors, it, it's one of those things that can resurface again. If there's another stressor in the dog's life, you may see some of these guarding tendencies coming out again. If it's a dog who it's just, you know, this change of the owner, these pregnancies, like um, it, it might just be like a shorter term thing, but you're not going to see instant results. Just because the husband came near the wife and he tossed some treats, it's not over now. It's mm -hmm. going to of repetition and going really slowly because I've had some clients who um, we have to break down which triggers it is that sets off the dog is it the you know the husband touching the wife on the arm is it when they're actually embracing is it when the husband is going into the bed um, usually there's more than one thing and sometimes like there's this kind of corso um, that I was working with this um, one these, this one couple and this kind of corso wouldn't even let the husband come in the front door it got uh -huh. by the time they contacted me. So uh -huh. obviously we had to start at the basics here 
and he hadn't bitten, which was really good, but he was definitely scary. And so we were doing things like you were doing with tethers and muzzles, um, because this was a dog that he must have been like 120 pounds or more. I mean, he was huge. And um, we had to make sure he couldn't get to the husband and just showing him that there's all this value um, being presented when the husband comes in the room. And mm -hmm. then working from there on those more specific triggers, like the husband starting to approach the wife. And there were certain locations where he was touchier than others. Um, there was another client um, who, uh, they, they didn't have a pregnancy, but it was uh, um, these two husbands and they were newlyweds. And they, um, one of them was getting guarded from the other one. And it was only in a specific situation where he would try to sit on the sofa and um, when he'd come near the other husband and the one would go and start guarding and he had bitten before. And then if he went to put his arm around his husband, oh my gosh, like it was just terrible. The other dog would actually jump up on his chest and was snarling in his face from what they were telling me. And so we had to break that down. And it took probably about, I'd say like maybe it was four weeks or six weeks until it was a pretty good situation there where they could, you know, um, sit as a family and watch TV and he could have his arm around his husband and, you know, be a normal married couple. <laughs> it, it took a good, like probably about six weeks, um, you know, breaking that down into all these different little components. That was a really good story. And, and I think that that's a perfect example that there's a range that sometimes it's physical affection between people. Um, I have also heard situations where um, if one partner in a couple raises their voice, even if they're being playful with one another, that that also can be a trigger for a dog. Um, so I think just sort of acknowledging that sometimes their sound sensitivity, yes. maybe it's a motion trigger, like the movement towards someone or some other kind of aspect of, of this, right? Yeah, it can be a lot of different things, like um, seeming like you're in a fight, um, you know, where you're just arguing or something like, I, gosh, like I have dogs that are bred for like watchful, you know, guarding type tendencies. I've actually had that before where my husband and I were in an argument, you know, just argument, no, no big deal. But um, one of my dogs went and sat in front of me, separating us. And it wasn't even like an intense argument, but he's like, nobody raises their voice at my mommy. She's, she's mine. Like, <laughs> and that is still guarding. That is still guarding. There was nothing that went beyond it, but that is still guarding behavior. And so mm -hmm. that's something you have to watch for. So I went and, you know, gave him something to do and got him in another room while we you know, like cash things out. <laughs> so yeah. Happens. And those are little things to look for before it escalates and gets out of hand. Yeah. Well, I think this is so useful because, you know, living in a family is hard. Like in the best of circumstances, it's hard. We all have our moods. We all have our hormones. We all have our lives that cause stress. And if we've got children, there's social stress, academic stress, all of like life. I mean, just literally just all of the challenges that come up with being alive and interacting with other family members. And then when you have a dog who may be extra sensitive or who may be fearful or timid or any of those kinds of things. It adds a pretty thick layer of challenge on top of what's already hard. And yeah. so resource guarding is 
is complicated to me. I mean, to me, it just really seems very complicated because it's not just one thing. It's not just he growled when I walked past his food bowl. No, it's usually a lot more than that. Usually if they're guarding one thing, they're guarding other things because there's anxiety um, underneath all that, which is fueling the behavior. So um, that's what really needs to be addressed. And I think people with children especially need to look for any signs of anxiety with their dog and get those addressed right away because it's going to keep resurfacing. It's not going to be just this or just that. It's going to resurface in other ways. So it's something you really have to be on top of from the very moment you see it. Right. Um, all right. I'm going to give you one last scenario. And it's probably going to be similar advice to what we gave again, but one of the reasons that I'm giving different scenarios is because I, I want our listeners to, to see themselves in these stories because they're very real. Um, and I want them to know that um, there are people like you and I out in the world that can help them with these different situations, um, you know, and, and that we have different services that can meet them where they're at, right? So my membership for ongoing support, for example, versus a consult with you for maybe a consult on how to um, how to approach one thing and then we check in again in a few weeks to see how it how it helped them make progress. Okay, so here's one last scenario for us. Um, we've got a five-year-old little boy and he loves to um, run in and jump on his mom's bed first thing in the morning. But the mom sleeps with the dog. And so, I know, your face. <laughs> so the way this works is the dog is on the bed, right? And in this case, um, I have a very specific client in mind with this story. Very big rescue dog who she had only had for, you know, like six months or something. He's, he's a loving dog but he's on the bed snuggling with mom. She's a single mom. The kiddo wakes up in the morning, comes out with gusto, runs down the hall and flings himself onto the bed where the dog is. And there is a uh, loud rumbling response from the dog and an air snap towards the kid's face. Now, okay, yeah, the look on your face is everything. I'm sorry that our listeners can't hear it. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Go for it. Yeah, that's one of those things where kids do that stuff. So it's all about management, um, you know, with the parent, like, uh, take that air snap as a warning that, um, you know, that, that would totally spook a dog. That would spook me if I was the other person. Me too. <laughs> me too. <laughs> so, yeah, we need to come up with another um, scenario for a, a way for the kid to come in. And, you know, like it's, it's one of those things that even if the dog were to put up with it, I would never advise to allow your child to do that because one of these times he may land on the dog. Um, one of these times the dog might be a little more asleep than another time. And so um, it's all about management because I know how it is. You'll tell a kid not to do it and then the next morning they do. Um, so I would say lock the door or have a baby gate or find something else, some other um, routine for your kid to do because um, it's just asking for trouble. And I would never expect any dog to put up with that because they just feel unsafe. They're, they're probably afraid they're, you know, going to actually get hurt with a kid, you know, flinging themselves on the bed. Right. And, and right. I know kids will be kids. I mean, I'm sure I did that stuff at that age too, but um 
you know, that's just one of those dangerous situations. And normally with, um, you know, kids, they often do get bitten in the face because when they do stuff, it's something where they either grab the dog, the face is there, they jump and the face is right there. And so, um, you know, as much as we want to be mad at the dog for that, like that, that's just one of those things where thank goodness the dog did not bite. Thank goodness the dog did an air snap. This is a gift. This is a gift that says, hey, we need to change um, something here. Giant red flag. Yeah. Um, there is there is a lot of discussion out in the world of, you know, should dogs even be on the bed? And I think if you want to snuggle with your dog on the bed, that's totally up to you. I, I sleep with my small dog. Um, it wasn't my plan, but it's what ended up happening. And, um, and that's fine. And it has no impact on the dog's social position in the hierarchy of your household, none of those things, um, none of those things really, it's irrelevant. However, there are times if a dog is guarding a piece of furniture, for example, like the sofa, um, then I often say, okay, you've lost sofa privileges until we can work this out. But if this is a mom who sleeps with her dog, um, I'm not gonna tell her to stop sleeping with her dog um, because of this but what i would say is we exactly like what you said is that we need to prevent the contact we need to prevent the kiddo from you know bowling into the room and stuff and so having a baby gate on the mom's door would prevent that or having a special code where he has a secret service knock you know like it's really fun if you can make it into a game where you're like you know, a secret agent and you've got a code and he, you know, he does the special knock on the mom's door. And then the mom says, okay, pooch off the bed, you go maybe tosses some treats off the bed or says, hold on, sweetie, takes the dog out, puts the dog, you know, passes the child in the hallway on the leash or whatever. And out you go or in a new room or into a crate or whatever. And then she hops back in bed, tells him he's allowed to come in and then he can still do his flying leap and jump in and have snuggle time with mom, right? So there are, we're not saying that you have to give up all the things that you love to do with your dog, but you need to set it up in such a context that the dog, um, that their protective nature of that place or of you doesn't put anyone else at risk. Yeah, I agree. I like that idea of the secret service type knock. That's really cute. Because one thing I've done before is if a guard, a dog is guarding a certain location, I have the entrance of the kid be the cue for the dog to exit and go to their crate or go to a bed. The only problem with that situation was the kid was running in there. Like the dog yeah. didn't even have a chance. No. There's some sort of little cue like that. I think that's a really cute idea. And then the kid feels like, wow, this is my special little thing that I do with mom in the morning. And so everybody's happy. Because yeah. you really have to give up everything you just have to make changes so that everybody can feel safe and secure um because i i, uh, I know some people would say dog off of the bed but maybe not in that scenario if they're continually guarding a space just when somebody walks by that's a little different um but um in this type of scenario if you like your dog sleeping in the bed like i do um then you know keep it that way but we can make some changes there because it's um, very trainable to, you know, have it where a kid is coming in and the dog's like, oh, it's time to go to my bed. Um, you know, mom tosses a treat over there or something. Exactly. So, yeah. <laughs> well, I think that's a great place for us to end it because I feel like we've given people a variety of 
ways that they can see how this might relate to them and some strategies that they can implement with their dogs at home. Can you tell us where we can find out more about you and your services um, online? Yeah, um, my website is www.confidentcaninesdogtraining.com. Uh, you can also find me on Facebook um, under my profile, Eileen Koval, or my business name, Confident Canines LLC in Las Vegas. Okay. So definitely find me. That's yep. great. And I will, I will link to both of all of those in our show notes page on the Pooch Parenting website. Thank you so, so much for sharing your wisdom and experience with us today. Oh, thank you for having me. It was super fun. Okay. I'll talk to you soon. <laughs> Bye. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the Pooch Parenting Podcast on the podcast app of your choice. For ongoing support, get on the waitlist for the Pooch Parenting Society, where I share training tips, activities, and coaching so families with dogs can live in harmony. By signing up at safekidsanddogs.com, you'll be the first to know when I open registration again for new members.